live from the Parent Nation studios, it's Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents, shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. Yeah, well, I got a newsflash for you, folks. The problem with kids is parents. Excuse me, Sheryl Sandberg, but I'm not leaning in anymore. I'm sick of spilling my martini. (laughs) I'm serious. It's time to put the F word back in parenting. Fun parenting. Oh my gosh, why can't we do this? Why can't we have dance parties in our kitchens? I don't understand. And now, here's your host, Tara Kennedy Clive. Hey, Parent Nation. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a fun one. Hi, Kelly. Hi. 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 (laughs) I can tell this is going to be a fun one. I know. The ghosts and goblins are in our electric lines and our phone lines today. (laughs) So, So, oh my gosh, you got to love it. Uh, So, Okay, I have to I have to give a shout out. You know you have an awesome insurance agent when they tell you that um, they're going to have the people call you after twelve o'clock because they know that you're going to be on the air Aww. from eleven to twelve. So, cool? right, exactly, and and then and then they start and then he started plugging like ideas into my head about things that we should talk about. So that was kind of <laughs> funny too. So That's great. Oh my gosh. So, okay, Kelly, what are you dressing your kids up as for Halloween? Do you do Halloween? Well, my daughter just turned 14, and she doesn't even know if she's going trick-or-treating or not. <gasps> but if she does, she is going to be one of her favorite YouTubers. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Molly Ann Weimer? No. <laughs> She's oh. good, though. She's good. That would be good. Yeah. No. Yes. It's, yeah, okay, so I have a almost 16-year-old and an almost 14-year-old and kind of going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're not sure if they want to go out. You know, the, the 16-year-old wants to go to the football game, you know, and be around the girls and blah, right. blah, blah. But you saw the article that I posted on Parent Nation Facebook yes. page last week, right? Yes. It's kids. They're still kids. Yes. They Secretly, are. they still want to go out and they still want to get candy and they still want to have fun. And I just feel bad for them because we live in a very old generational neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard because, you know, they want to go door to door and they want to get candy and they want to get dressed up and they want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And then they get up to the door and the people like don't even want to open the door or they scold them for being too old for to go trick or treating. Yeah, It's like, oh, just stop it. You know, we're, we on the one hand, we want to bitch because kids are growing up too quickly these days. <laughs> and then on the other hand, we want to bitch because big kids want to do little kids stuff these days and you know let them do little kids stuff well that kind that kind of feeds into my next question have you seen some of these freaking ridiculous halloween costumes oh my gosh yes getting worse and worse it's It's getting worse every year it is it is okay here's the thing parent nation if you have a nine-year-old girl and your biggest fear is her being abducted, 
probably don't want to dress her up as Batman's slutty younger cousin and send her out in the dark door to door begging for candy. Mm. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. You know, I get I get that the little girls want to dress up in the in the, you know, the cutesy costumes. But if you're allowing your daughter to be sexualized, to sexualize herself and then parade that throughout your neighborhood with her other sexualized nine year old friends, then you can't bitch when people talk about, you know, how slutty kids are becoming today or how promiscuous kids are becoming at a young age today or the teen pregnancy rate today or how grown up kids are acting today. It's like, oh my gosh, do you, I don't even know what's going through the minds of parents who would buy. Okay. I have a friend who her kids um, model for costumes, Halloween costumes they did this year. And I thought to myself, if they wanted to put my daughter in, have you seen the, the, the lovable panda for the little girls, the lovable panda costume? No, I haven't seen that one. The, the little panda tutu skirt barely even covers her butt cheeks. Okay. Okay. And you, so you can see her little tail sticking out from underneath her tutu uh, and and it's an off the shoulder panda with a cute little panda hat. Okay, first of all, I'm from Pennsylvania, peeps. Halloween, it's going to be 30 freaking degrees. Mhm. When these kids are out there trick-or-treating, why in the hell are you putting them in that kind of stuff anyway? Right. I mean, dress as a Teletubby for crying out loud. At least you'll be warm. <laughs> <laughs> or Cookie Monster. Cookie. Oh, you should see Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster's dirty. Oh, no. There is a dirty girl Cookie Monster costume. Girl or adult? Um, It's a teenager in the freaking okay. costume. Oh. And Cookie Monster is in a short shorts and the and leggings. You know those little those little legging things that yes. are fuzzy blue leggings. So you know, you, and because of course that's what Cookie Monster looks like. No, sorry, right. not in my day. It mm. looked like you were wearing a giant pillow pet, and it should. <laughs> yeah, I think until you are twenty one years old, you should have to dress like a freaking pillow pet. thing one or thing two that works right you know unless you're going if you're going to an adult party an adult themed party then you can dress like a dirty slutty adult i and i have i mean i'm not i'm not saying but then again look at look at what we're doing to our kids you know like you i you've seen the ad the uh the fuck hate ad that's right. out now with right. the little girls dressed as princesses dropping the f bomb like sailors. Yeah, not cool. Not cool. Okay, tell me your tell me your real opinion about it because I'll tell you what, I've shown it to so many people and been addressed by so many people in private that are like, it's hysterical. It's so funny, and I'm like, all right, let's really talk about it. Is it funny? I don't think it's funny. I think it's disgusting and yeah. I think it's degrading. Yeah. I think it's degrading to women. Well, first of all, your message is fuck hate. That's the most hateful ad I've seen in a really long time. So I <laughs> <laughs> So I guess I'm missing your point. 
And second of all, you're talking about you have little girls discussing a topic that there's no way they can possibly understand. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. You have seven-year-olds talking about rape and inequality in the workplace and... um, so there and an exploitation and body image. You don't even have boobs, girls. Stop it. <laughs> Seriously. You and your 12-year-old brother look exactly the same <laughs> right now. What Except are you your, even talking about? <laughs> Except your hair's a little longer. Maybe not. Yeah. You know, because now we have like these, you know, gender reveal parties when they start to get Adam's apples and their balls drop. I mean, come on. Seriously? And it's a, there's so many parents right now that are refusing to reveal the gender of their child because they don't, you know, because of the whole inequality thing. You know what? That's, that is pushing inequality for boys. What yeah. you're doing, it, it is. I, I want my little boy to be able to act like a little boy. And if that offends your little girl, then you put that there. You made her offended by that. She wasn't born that way. She couldn't care less. Right. And so now you're talking about things. You're having little girls dressed up as princesses. You're exploiting women. You're exploiting girls to get your message across, talking about not exploiting women. And you're making the point that the only way that little girls can be heard is by making them obnoxious, disrespectful, foul-mouthed little brats. Mm. If your little girl told grandma to go suck it because she wanted her to eat her Wheaties, would that be okay? Nope. No, but you gave her permission to do it when she's talking to a man. So basically what you're doing is you're teaching little girls to hate all men. You know, in the ad, they say one in five girls will be sexually assaulted. And then they count off because there's five of them. And they go, which one of us will it be? And that's a very valid point. And it's it's a very strong, passionate point. But you know the point that they're not making on that ad, Kelly? What is that? 100% of all boys are assumed to be rapists. Mm. That's the message that you're not talking about. And as a boy mom, it pisses me off. Right. I, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm tired of it. I'm not raising my boys to be rapists. So stop putting that in their space and mine with your negativity. I want to do that ad. And how do you think that would go over? Let's do it. Let's do it. And you know what else? I want to do the ad where the dads are sharing that message to their daughters and having to look them in the face and say things like, sweetie, you know you're going you're gonna to work just as hard and you're going to have a harder time getting into college. And you're going to work just as hard and probably get a better education than the boys around you, but you'll never make as much money as them. I want to see an ad where the dads have to tell those realities to their daughters because that would be more powerful than listening to seven-year-olds dropping the F-bomb and acting like obnoxious little twits on the air. That's my point about that. Uh, It it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. And then you want to dress them up like little sluts and, and do, and, and put horrible words in their mouth and then go, I don't understand why girls aren't as respected as boys. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know why? Because little boys don't care about that shit. We're out there playing football. You know, we're out there, we're out there getting dirty and messy and having a good time. Just let your daughters do that. 
Just let your daughters go out and get messy and dirty and play with boys and don't put those ideas in their head and then let's see what happens. Let's raise that generation. That's when we'll have equality. I'm with you, sister. Mm, woohoo! Hey, did you know that, that they just did a study that found out that plants uh, know that they're being eaten? Um, <laughs> how... <laughs> Um, how do, how do they know that? Okay. So the modern farmer, I was just reading this on Tracy Katz part. She's, she's a member of parent nation and, um, she has a thing on Facebook. I was like, no way it's, it can't happen. There's the, there's a study that done by the modern farmer and they proved that, um, they've always known that plants know when they're feeling they're they're threatened because they put out whatever it is their toxin that they put out because plants a lot of plants Mm. have those toxins in them right like stocks when they spray exactly like plants kind of do the same thing that's why certain plants smell bad and blah 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 right so they've did they did this study that um they they um, check the vibrational levels of plants while caterpillars were chewing on them. Mm-hmm. And they said the, this one plant that puts out like this mustard, this mustard, um, st- stuff, juice. I don't know what the hell it is, Are but they anyway, <laughs> they're not mustard plants. I don't know what it is. It's, it's this, it's this stuff that they, they put out. It's, I'm, I'm trying to find it in the ad. It's a defense mechanism, right? Okay. So, um, it's, a, it's cress, fail cress. So, um, and the, it's closely related to like broccoli and kale and mustard greens, right? Okay. So they, they do have this, this mustard stuff that they put out and it's supposed to taste bad. So they studied the plants while, um, while the wind was blowing and they put out like a vibrational thing and, and they secreted some of this mustard stuff. But then when a caterpillar was actually chewing on their leaves, they excreted more of this mustard stuff than they did when it was just um, the wind. So basically they can tell the difference between a munching vibration. That's what the study says. <laughs> they can tell the difference between a munching vibration and just like wind or something crawling on them, right? <laughs> nice. So then they started doing, like they started going back to like how plants respond to music and, you know, like nice things like that. So, so now what the heck? So what are we supposed to do now? Like, don't, I'm just eating donuts. I'm just going to eat donuts. Cause they don't, cause they don't feel nothing but warm in my belly. That you know of. They haven't done a study on it yet. So you don't know. It's not a sentient being. So, so now we have to, now we have to study the, the, the senses of plant. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it. I'm just going to start walking through fields and eating. If it's alive, I don't care. I'm just going to take a bite out of it. I don't care. I'm sick of it. I just, I, I, I can't stop eating because I feel guilty about my food all the time. What are they trying to do? They're trying to starve us to death. It's the government. I don't know what I saw. I saw something, I think this morning, maybe it was on Facebook. That said, I ate four chocolate donuts and then I ate four white powdered donuts to balance it out. So, yeah, I had a balanced breakfast. It's awesome. That's brilliant. That's the kind of thing we need to focus on. 
Oh, gosh, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about bedwetting with Tal Sagi when we come back from this break, everybody. Takes a village to pay the bills in this freaking studio, which is why Tara's taking a cocktail break and we're taking care of business with a word from these sponsors. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. Join us every Monday at 10 a.m. Central for the Johnny Rowland News, Guns, and Motorsports radio show with commentary about current events, guns, shooting, and firearms issues, automotive and motorsports features, and special music presentations. Johnny is recognized as an international firearms authority and ballistic engineer, as well as an accomplished and widely recognized automotive designer and longtime TV and radio host. This program draws on Johnny's experience in shooting, motorsports, and as a professional entertainer and musician. Don't miss Johnny Roland News, Guns, and Motorsports. Infotainment at its best. Trust us on this one. It's a fun show. Every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Toginet Radio Network. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? <laughs> it's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am excited to have my first guest today. His name is Tal Segi, and he is a bedwetting expert. And I have to say that I um, deal with a lot of kids that are dealing with bedwetting for various reasons. And a lot of times it has to do with regressive behaviors. Um, a lot of kids that were forced into potty training too soon that just weren't ready. Um, and a lot of emotional issues. And, you know, when, when kids are being diagnosed with behavioral and, and spectrum disorders, you know, one in 70 these days, um, there's a lot of things that go along with that and controlling their, their bowels and their bedwetting and their potty training behaviors is a big part of that. So I'm really glad to have Tal with us today. Hey, Tal, how are you? Very good. Thank you. Good morning, Tara. Thank you. You're coming to us from like across the pond there, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're located in Israel. Yeah, that's something like that. <laughs> wow. So you're pretty far away. What time is it where you are? Oh, it's just uh, five. 5.22 p.m. afternoon. Perfect. Oh, wow. So that's cool. Yeah, I yeah. was thinking it was going to be like Still 3 o'clock in the morning. Still, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank 
you so much for joining us today. I, sure. I know that um, I deal with a lot of parents that are struggling with bedwetting, but how common is is that behavior really? Well, uh, most children stop having nighttime accidents between the ages of two to four. At the age of four, about 25% of children are still wetting their beds. At the age of six, 15%. But even at the age of 18 plus, 2% are still wetting their beds. In the United States, it's estimated that there are between 5 to 7 million children, teenagers, and adults that are still suffering from bedwetting. Wow. That's shocking. Well, yeah, it's considered to be like one of the most common disorders among uh, childhood. Um, first one is asthma, bedwetting the second one. And uh, in most cases, it's not a medical problem and not also, it's not also a psychological problem. In most cases, these are absolutely normal children. Any child that you can you know, take a look at him can be a bedwetter. And uh, it has to do with a, a genetic problem. I mean, this is something that runs in the family. In most cases, they are totally normal. There's just one thing that characterizes these children. They are extremely deep sleepers. Wow. So that would explain why for some adults, it's not a problem that they deal with on a regular basis. It's something that happens like after you've been drinking too much or you've had a particularly busy, stressful, you know, um, hardworking day and you're just like total deep sleep and you have that dream that you're like standing at the urinal and then you wake up and you're so that's that's something that's a problem for people? Well, it really depends on the age. I mean, if, if, you, if you talk about, it, let's say, a five- or six-year-old that wets the bed sporadically once in a month or once in two months, this is absolutely not a problem. And in most cases, uh, this child will outgrow you know, naturally, spontaneously, with no interventions. But uh, when you uh, discuss a 14-year-old that wets the bed, let's say, even once a month, this is one time too many. This is not supposed to happen this age anymore. Right. Um, and if you just neglect it after years, it could start to, you know, to become a major issue. Wow. I didn't even, I mean, I've not even considered it. Back when I was a kid, you knew if somebody was a bedwetter because mom would be hanging the sheets out the window. She tried to shame you out of the behavior, you know, because this was just to them, to my parents and to my parents' generation, that was a sign of laziness. Right. I mean, there, there's a lot of misconceptions about bedwetting, a lot of, a lot of parents' mistakes, very common ones, um, that unfortunately many parents do. Uh, for example, um, by far the most common mistake is waking your child in the middle of the night. Many parents do that. And it's a mistake because by waking up your child, the responsibility for staying dry is transferred from the child to the parent. There is no learning process and children become accustomed to emptying their bladder during their sleep. Uh, there are more mistakes, for example, uh, limiting the amounts of liquids before going to, to bed. Uh, fluid restriction before sleep time will only accustom the bladder to function at, high, uh, at, at, at night with a small amount of liquid. Uh, wow. you, just, you just mentioned um, punishing the child. You know, many parents have good intentions, but they make a mistake of punishing or embarrassing a child, thinking that this will lead to modified behavior. And parents need to know 
that the primary sufferer is the child, not the parent, who is inconvenienced by having to change the wet sheets and deal with extra loads of laundry. So when a parent shows disappointment or punishes the child, it only aggravates the problem and makes the child feel even more distressed about the situation. Wow. That's, and that's so true. And we do that. We overuse punishment unfortunately, as parents in the United States, I believe. Um, there's too many things that we try to punish out of our children that are simply an inconvenience to us, and we don't realize that the child is really the one struggling with it. So right. what, can, what, what can parents do who are dealing with this situation? Well, there, there are a lot of you know, uh, so-called solutions out there. Um, uh, one of the things that parents do, you won't believe it, but they're using pull-ups. Okay, I'm not talking just about four or five-year-old that this, this is legitimate. Uh, I'm talking about children at the age of 10 with pull-ups, at the age of 15 with pull-ups, at the age of 18. In some cases, uh, the pediatrician will even prescribe pull-ups, and it will be, there will be some kind of reimbursement from the uh, 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 insurance company. And this is something unbelievable because pull-ups... Uh, is, is a huge mistake, okay? It suppresses any motivation to become dry. And the message delivered by the parents is that they anticipate that the child will wet the bed. And they do not expect him to get over the problem. So it's like a band-aid instead of a real solution. Um, another thing that they try to do is just to say, you know, the child will grow out of it. And again, many pediatricians will tell the parents just to wait out because there is nothing to do about it. And I completely disagree with this argument because the problem with this uh, approach is that they are ignoring the amount of distress or embarrassment this puts on the child. And these could lead to extra months or even years of fear of having a slumber party with friends or not being able to go to sleepaway camps because they don't want anyone to know they wet the bed. So the child needs its parent support and understanding. And when the parents ignore the problem and just say to the child, you know what, everything will be okay. In a few years, you're going to be dry. So the child just feels that he has no one to rely on. Um, there are also, you know, a lot of um, bedwetting alarms out there. Uh, they can usually help in about 30% of cases. But in most cases, if it's not supervised by a professional, it really doesn't help. The child doesn't wake up from it. The whole... The whole house wakes up, the whole neighborhood wakes up, but he continues to sleep like nothing happened. So um, medication is also a solution, or so-called solution. It helps when you use it. When you stop using it, you might expect a relapse. So th there are a lot of solutions and, unfortunately, a lot of myth about bedwetting, and parents feel, you know, very uh, um, not so sure what the best approach would be. And this is what we've been dealing all the time. We have a lot of people coming to consult with us what to do in their specific case. And the most important thing to understand is that you cannot give the same solution to every child. You can't approach a five-year-old that wets the bed every single night the same way you would approach a 16-year-old that wets the bed sporadically. Right. And that makes complete sense. And, you know, you're completely right, too, in the fact that we are, as parents, we almost feel paralyzed because we're so highly marketed to in this area. When I can go to Target or Walmart and there are diapers there that are marketed to my tween, my nine to 12 year old child. Wow. I'm I'm supposed to actually I'm supposed to believe that this is normalizing it. 
This is normalizing the behavior and saying, you're not the only one. Look at how many there are. We have to make a product just for you. So, you know, yeah. so we're, we're normalizing it and we're alleviating the burden of it by creating a product that kind of hides it. Exactly. Exactly. And, I agree with every word. And, oh, my gosh. So uh, when can you start looking for this behavior? Because, you know, my son, my youngest son is on the autism spectrum. He wasn't potty trained until he was four years old. Mm-hmm. Well, I was, you know, so when do you start noticing that this is a problem? Well, we usually expect, as I mentioned before, a child to uh, grow out spontaneously from bedwetting between the ages of two to four. At the age of four, it starts, you know, you, you need to start to pay attention to it. But let's say from the age of five, for sure, this is something that's not supposed to happen. So if you have, if you have a child that is bedwetting at the age of five, for sure you want to find, you need to do something about it. Because the problem is that as the age progress, it just gets much more difficult to address the problem, and I'm not talking about the psychological aspects, you know, that go along with it. Uh, the, the, the child can go to sleepaway camp, and, and and he feels different than other, you know, than his peers. So at the age of five, you can say, you know what, let's wait another year or two. But as the age progresses, it just gets much more difficult. And I can see that happening because not only is it a learned behavior now, it's become accepted, it's become part of who you are, and it also probably becomes physiologically more normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. just – so when you say that each kid has to be treated differently, how how do you develop a process around that? Because you've actually created an online process for this. Right. Um, right. Um me and my father, Dr. Jacob Segui, is the one that started the whole thing about 30 years ago, since 1984. Uh, he he uh, um, started the whole clinics, um, about 10 clinics here in Israel and also in the States. We're like, seeing a lot of patients all over the world, also in the States. But these are traditional clinics, and he developed a multimodality program that is tailor-made to each and each person and differentiates between one to the other based on a lot of criteria that we take into consideration. Now, the downside of this program was that it is very time-consuming. Okay, we have seen patients from morning till evening, and these are just, you know, the two of us. And we didn't want to franchise our method, and we were only two therapists. So to expand our reach beyond the physical clinics, we came up with the idea for an online option that can help millions all over the world. And we call this uh, program or this product therapy, therapy with a double E at the end. Um, and um, the idea is... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the idea was that um, therapy is exactly the same treatment that is performed successfully in our walk-in clinics with one main difference. Instead of a live treatment therapist, the child is treated by a virtual therapist. And this virtual therapist was programmed to do almost exactly what the real therapist would be doing in person. So the therapy program includes two main features. The first one is our uh, bedwetting alarm, our very advanced bedwetting alarm, which is called Stoppy. And um, this is the same one that we use in our inpatient clinics. And uh, it is by far the safest and most sensitive alarm. And it's not connected in any way to the child's body. So there's like a very big sensor pad that is located underneath the sheet. The child is not attached to anything. And the second uh, uh, element is the online software. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about a CD with a 10-step program that, you know, will be the same for every child. The program is tailor-made to each and every child, 
and um, uh, it, it, it is based on the data that the child and the parents provide the system. So what basically happens is that once in two weeks, the child and the parent view another session done by a real therapist speaking to him. The child will answer questions that the therapist will ask by clicking the right answer with the mouse and he will get the right feedback from the therapist. So we were able to resemble the same thing that we were doing in our inpatient clinics, but doing that with a software. And then we basically give the child a step-by-step -step program that takes, you know, takes from the beginning till the end till he gets a complete dryness. Now, with this program, it's not just about a bedwetting alarm. We also teach him special exercises that are supposed to increase bladder capacity or strengthen the sphincter muscles or help the sensation in the bladder. And as mentioned before, it will be different from one child to the other. And this is why we get more than 90% success rate. You know, I have to share with you something. At the beginning of, of this program, that is more than a year out there. Uh, we had a lot of concerns about, I mean, is it going to be successful as our traditional program? Because, you know, everybody knows that traditional program is the best. You go to a clinic, you meet the doctor, you speak to him. This is the best you can, you, you can have. Mm -hmm. But we, we didn't know what to expect. And we were amazed to find out that we have even better success rate with the online program. So we asked, how could it be? This is a computer treating the child with a real therapist, you know, pre-recorded videos and sessions, so how could it be? And the answer for it is that, from our point of view, a child in 2014, of six, seven years old, 14 years old, feels more engaged to a program that he, you know, grabbing an iPad or a computer and seeing a video and, and you know, seeing uh, stars and elements and a lot of stuff that children really like, it's much more engaging than going to some kind of a, a, a doctor's office and waiting sure. in the waiting room. It's, 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 these are, I mean, these are children that, you know, I have three kids at home. I mean, they don't really speak to me. They speak to their iPad all day. And I have sure. amazing fights with them. Just leave these iPads away. I mean, th this is this is this is a new generation, and you need to adopt the kind of treatment you do uh, to the to these children. This is exactly what we're doing in, in the therapy program. Wow, that's amazing, and you're absolutely right. You know, this is the way the the way technology is progressing is the way children are learning today. And there's a thousand studies out there that prove that our children will learn better, you know, based on using these technologies. So it's really awesome. And I think the other thing that's really cool about it too, we only have like a minute until we have to go, but I think the other thing that's really cool about it too is the fact that the child is guiding their own therapy. And, you know, that is, that's very empowering. And this whole thing is based on empowerment. So Tal Sagi, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Again, it's called Therapy, and that's why I was laughing, because it's got Probably, two E's yeah. at the end. And, and if, I, if I have and, just one more sentence, if somebody wants to consult with us, we do offer a free consultation about, you know, regarding the child. And perfect. it could be done through our um, email support at bedwettingtherapy.com. Um, right. And we and, will absolutely put that on the website, too. So thank perfect. you so much. We'll be right back. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. And we'll be right back with more Parenting with a Twist. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman. 
on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. As a member of the baby boomer generation, you want insights and ideas that factor into planning for, making choices about, and activating your new or mothballed dreams. As a boomer, you can learn how to act on your visions by tuning into the Awakening to Awareness show on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you are inspired to follow your own path, Step into new directions and are excited about what you, as a recent or soon-to-be retiree, can do with your life. This is your show. Listen to the show that focuses on self-belief and possibilities for emerging seniors who look forward to life's third act with dread or amazing promise. Host Eric Tonigson and his guests share entertaining ideas and explore strategies to reignite your passions and shift your intentions into action. In his naturally curious and motivating ways, Eric explores personal values, shares wisdom, and encourages you to unlock and live your potential and purpose. Join Eric and his Awakening to Awareness show on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on the TogiNet. Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Parent Nation with Tara Kennedy Klein, the Internet's top talk radio show featuring real talk for real parents. Clean my house? (laughs) It's time to clean their house. You know what it means if my house is clean? I have big closets and a broken computer. Shaken and stirred up with a twist from America's family advocate, Tara Kennedy Klein. And now... Back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am, I've been waiting for a long time. If you've been watching the uh, Parent Nation Facebook page, uh, you know that I've been waiting for these two guests for quite a while. Uh, About a month ago, I got a book in the mail. And when I get packages in the mail, I have two kids. So, you know, packages in the mail, that's presents. So my kids <laughs> always want to open them, right? So, oh, yeah. so, so they, always, they open it, and there's this book, and it's called Lovers, an erotic <laughs> collection of short stories and prose. And my 15-year-old goes, whoa, this isn't for me. And I'm like, mm, no, probably not. Let's see that. And <laughs> so I started reading through it, and I got to tell you, it's – it's like it's it's a it's a good dirty book. It's got some awesome, wonderful, amazing stories and the thing that's cool is they're not like 50 shades kind of erotic stories. They're like erotic stories that get you thinking about the energy in your body and and what you were designed to create and how you were designed to experience your sexuality as well as sex. So it, it's just, it, it, it's pretty mind blowing. And, uh, and my husband is very thankful for the book. So anyway, wow. <laughs> the authors you, are, you Meg- just gave 
the best review we've ever had. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Megan and Sakara, welcome to the show. Oh, my gosh. Let's talk oh, about this dirty, you. dirty book of yours. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, it was really interesting seeing your the phrase mom erotica on your website. We, I was thinking about that and what mom erotica meant, and it's so nice to hear you say that it's good and dirty but doesn't make you feel like um, dirty. you've done something <laughs> wrong. Yeah, and that's something that I feel like a lot of women, especially mothers, stay-at-home mothers and those that are very busy, need to have is something that actually speaks to them as women, as sensual women, and addresses the beautiful aspects of their nature. I agree. And I think the thing that was so cool about it was the the first story, well, the first story is actually um, a a post-birth story. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very feminine. And then the next story is, um, is about a lesbian encounter. Right. And the woman who wrote it isn't even a lesbian. It was awesome. It was. And it won the best. Uh, it was, it won the short story erotica contest because the writing style, the richness, the texture, the perspective were just all the elements that makes a really good story a great read, regardless of what kind of orientation you have. And that was the most interesting part is the author is not a lesbian so for her to be able to tap into that part of herself is is a great stretch for any author sure well i mean if you think about it as a woman i can relate to what i would give and receive as a woman sure so it makes it kind of easy but i liked the way the story like it 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 turned from this just general I don't want to say general, but it turned from a basic erotic story about two women to them like going into their past lives as these, you know, in another time and giving birth and being, you know, like these not really slaves, but, you know, like sort of like princess wives. And it was and having known each other there in that space and time. Also, it was wild. It was it's it's I love the way the stories are written. They're really they make you think and they really make you feel like tingly kind of feel. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, you know, that's the difference. That's the difference with lovers, because, for example, with the lesbian story, you get a story with some depth. It's not like the porno, you know, like college girl lesbies or something like that. Exactly, you know? right? <laughs> like, like sorority girls like getting it down, you know? It's yeah. not like <laughs> These are after the sorority girls have grown up, gone to college, gotten a job, and discovered, oh, my goodness. There's way more to me than parting it out. Wow, I actually have feelings, thoughts, and maybe even a past. Right. And this is what sex would be like when I'm not on ecstasy. (laughs) 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 Well, and that's what I think makes metaphysical erotica very different is that we really focus on the multisensorial aspect of sensual erotic beings. That's what we all are. We focus on the senses. We focus on consciousness. We focus on sacredness of sex so that we are really elevating the way we view sex, the way we honor sex, and the way we honor our bodies. So it's not just 
um, the graphic nature that you see in pornography or the things that you see in commercial erotica. We're introducing a way for people to be able to get in touch with those sensual things within themselves and reach higher principles of consciousness, sacred geometry, past lives, energy medicine. So, you know, yes, I'm wondering, I've always wanted to do, too, is give the power back to the women, you know, because mm-hmm. so many erotic stories, you know, pop, pop, 50 shades, pop, pop. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. so many erotic stories, you have women being submissive and not owning their sexuality, and the man has to teach them, you know, and in our book, you have so many different themes and lifestyles. You know, you have paranormal and you have uh, lesbian, you have dominatrix and everything. But the common link is that these women come into their own, you know, and they have power in their relationship. And to us, it was very important to restore that to women. I loved it. And the I, the thing that was so wild, I knew that I was in for a wild ride when the very first story talked about a woman um, being made love to by the sun, the rays of the mm-hmm. sun. And, you right. know, being being a sun sign, I, I'm not <laughs> a water person, you know, so I never, like, got off in the shower or anything. But being a sun <laughs> sign, I could actually visualize myself laying on a beach and how that um, that butterflies in your stomach feeling that you get when the sun is really hot on your skin – I could yeah. actually feel that sensation going through my body, and you know, th- I I got it. It made sense, and it was really kind of cool and creepy at the same time. I I thought it was awesome, yeah. and like the light in her womb because of giving birth and all that stuff. Like it's a dark place, but it gives birth to light. Like all of that stuff comes into play along with the erotica, which is what I find really complex about it. Mm-hmm. But what made you what what made you come up with this idea? Well, you know, Megan and I have already had a lot of different experiences writing different kinds of erotica. Uh, the metaphysical erotica is actually kind of split into three different types of genres. The first is metaphysical erotica, which deals with energy. Um, energy principles, sacred geometry, the body, tantra, and chakras. The second mm-hmm. series is on erotica, where we actually take a lot of the ancient myths of the world and we recreate them using central life themes like forgiveness and compassion. And what it does is it gives these gods and goddesses a new opportunity to receive insight gain consciousness, because a lot of two-dimensional stories that you read about gods and goddesses, they don't really reach deeper into their psyche. And so there was, a, we have so many projects underway that we had to ask ourselves, you know, what's a great way to be able to grow our community even better? And that's where Lovers came out, because we've been on a lot of different radio shows in the past year, and so a couple of those uh, hosts actually became authors, and they were very excited because for some of them, they had never, ever published a book before, and it was a real hard dream to do that. So Lovers was really an opportunity to get our collective audience to share what is erotic for them, and our, our guidelines were actually very flexible but strict. 
because we honor the divine feminine and the divine masculine and we do represent sacred sexuality, we didn't want to publish or even receive works that dealt with disrespecting any mm-hmm. forms of human beings, children, adults. It, it, I just didn't want to create works that were disrespectful or negative in nature. So anything that, anything that surrounded abuse, uh, disempowerment, uh, incest, any kind of abuse type of nature just wasn't even um, considered. And with the success of lovers, we see that there is a market, there is a hunger that the collective world wants for conscious erotica to come out into the world. So I'm so glad it made you feel good. It did. And, you know, I have to be honest with you. In the beginning, when I first started reading um, the the first story, it made me a little bit uncomfortable because I was it, it was almost like I'm not supposed to I'm not supposed to feel like that about sex. Like sex is something as a woman, I'm supposed to be in a submissive position. I'm supposed to be a receiver. And, you know, like those are all things that society and belief systems have have put in my head around sex and so the first story was like completely out there for me but then I started to kind of like fall into the story of it and Mm -hmm. the imagery of it and so that went away and then when I started reading the the second story and I realized that it was about you know lesbianism I was completely uncomfortable because I was like, this is not something that I participate in that I'm familiar Mm -hmm. with um, or that I would ever admit to because it, you know, as a married woman, I can't. Right. And, but then I started again, falling into the, it's their story and I'm just experiencing it. Right. and the imagery and then going back and, and seeing how they connected on an energy level. And that was really great. And then, you know, the, the other stories deal with, you know, the average couple and how they deal with their own issues and work through them through um, sacred sexuality, which I love that term. And mm-hmm. so the two of you could have very easily written this book on your own. Right. It's we have because, written, I mean, we've written anthologies before easily. Right. And well, like Megan, you wrote for Playgirl and, you know, Good Vibrations. So you're familiar with writing this kind of stuff. What made you guys take it in the direction that you took it? Yes. Well, I tell you, um, when I started my partnership uh, with Sakara, um, I had been a published erotic author, both visual, like, you know, Playgirl, and now I'm working with Gus. Uh, which is the Dutch-based uh, erotica and porno uh, channel for women, and also written erotica. And I had begun to notice um, in both genres, and not with the companies that I work with, uh, but I was getting some very disturbing offers, um, you know, offers to write great fantasies. And, you know, this 18-year-old girl gets kidnapped and gang, you know, gang raped, and she liked it so much, she sits around for more. That is literally the type of offers that I was getting. And I was so disgusted. 
I just really questioned. I thought, what, am I in the wrong industry? You know, because I want to do things that are positive for women. You know, I want to do things that are empowering and wonderful. And, uh, you know, and I work with a number of great companies, uh, you know, but when the when I saw Safara's ad for a writer and I saw terms like positive, feminist, uh, you know, really empowering women, I thought, this is my long-lost sister, and which she has turned out to be in every sense of the word. And so, you know, um, to me, it, we're doing something that is greatly needed, you know, because we knew that there are other readers like us that want something deeper and something more empowering. You know, and so oh, I couldn't agree why, more. Yeah, yeah. And I think with the um, the popularity of thing of Fifty Shades, you know, that took that whole um, abusive sexual relationship in a whole nasty direction. You know, with the bondage mm-hmm. and and all of that stuff. Right. That that it it just completely skewed. I think it completely skewed young women's opinions of what sex should mean for them and what they should and should not want out of a sexual relationship. And so something like this, I would love to see a book like this, this level of empowerment for younger women. And I know, you know, we call it mom erotica and that's funny. And, um, you know, that's, that's a, a great term for women of our age, but, I believe that there is too much of a misconception uh, among younger women of what sex is supposed to be and what it's supposed, you know, what the experiences are supposed to be like. And I love that you're including, you know, all of the sexual stereotypes too. And by that, I mean like the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community. Um, I, I, I love that you're making that beautiful. Because yes, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Because yeah, we only have like yeah. a minute until the end of the show, and I have so much more things that I want to talk to you about because I love talking <laughs> about sex. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and, and we also try to emphasize positive body images, too, because, like, you might have yes. noticed in my story, Whispers, that it has a plus size, you know, heroine, and she's yes. got this gorgeous, you know, paranormal figure falling madly in love with her. Well, that's another thing that we need to emphasize is the beauty of all women, you know, not I just agree. what I exactly. do, you know. I agree <laughs> completely. Ladies, thank you for creating something so awesome and amazing that we can all Indeed. enjoy and have fun with and learn from, and we need a lot more more of it. So Parent Nation, check it out if you get a chance. It's called Lovers, an erotic collection of short stories and prose by Megan Hussey. And Sakara, I don't know. You're just like, that's just a beautiful name by itself. So that's what we're going to go with. Parent Nation, thanks for joining us. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation. Until next time, keep playing. Shut them up. Connect with Tara online at TaraKennedyKline.com. Until next time, remember this. Parent Nation, why do we keep calling this the hardest job on the planet? Why don't we just appreciate the gift that we're given and try calling it